0: Welcome to COVID-19, Immunity in Our Community. Before we kick off the show, here's the latest COVID-19 vaccination news at the time of this recording on Monday, June 21st. At the start of this week, nearly 318 million vaccines have been administered in the U.S. Over half of Americans over 12 years of age are now fully vaccinated. The CDC recently updated mask guidelines. Fully vaccinated individuals can resume activities without wearing a mask or physically distancing. You are fully vaccinated two weeks after your final dose. That's it for now. Enjoy the show.
1: Well, hello there. I'm Robin Roberts of ABC's Good Morning America. How you doing? Welcome to COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. COVID-19 immunity in our community has been created to provide you with the groundbreaking science, honest facts, unvarnished truth about the deadly coronavirus and the revolutionary vaccines that could put this pandemic behind us and bring back a bit of normalcy for all of us. The desire of those still not vaccinated against COVID-19 is largely split along partisan lines. Now, hear me out here, because an April survey conducted on behalf of the HHS found that only 52% of ideological conservatives said they were ready to get a COVID-19 vaccine now. That's compared to 82% of liberals. Now, that same survey found that 25% of conservatives reported they didn't want to get a COVID vaccine at all, while only 6% of liberals said they don't want one. Vaccines are vital preventive care. What may be causing this ideological divide in vaccination rates and what can all of us do to bring the country together? So glad you asked. We're gonna try to answer that question today. We see similar lower confidence rates among conservatives in many faith-based groups including the evangelical community as well. Many people in the religious community who are still hesitant to get vaccinated often turn to religious leaders for guidance. And that is why we sat down with Pastor Jared Cornett, based in Irving, Texas. He reflects on some of the conversations he's had with members of his church community about the safety and efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines. He broke down some of the theological arguments for getting vaccinated. Then, I spoke with Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Collins has been praised for his ability to speak about science to, get this, both sides of the aisle, which isn't often easy to do. He spoke about how we can start to address this partisan gap from both ideological and theological angles. Pastor Jared Cornett's 400-person congregation is largely made up of conservatives, but everyone in the church has a unique perspective. Many of them have their own questions about the COVID-19 vaccines, like many folks do. And during the pandemic, Pastor Cornett took a variety of safety measures for his church, including limiting church capacity, offering virtual services, and requiring masks. Ultimately, the members of his church trusted him. To make the right decision, as many people of faith trust their own community leaders. Now, when the COVID-19 vaccines were authorized, some people came to Pastor Cornett for theological answers to the questions they had. Though he cites biblical reasons for taking COVID-19 precautions, he also reminds hesitant folks to trust science and trust doctors. Pastor Cornett's story shows that people have a diverse set of reasons for their hesitancy. Here he is now to share his
2: experience. So a lot of times when people, maybe they're against masks or they're against the vaccine, if I'm going to come about it from a a biblical perspective, the story of the Good Samaritan comes along, caring for somebody who is vulnerable. And we see that in the story of the Good Samaritan. And that's really the story of Scripture as well. Uh, Jesus comes to those who are in need. So I think those are good perspectives to come about. Stories like that, the Old Testament teaches that we're to love our neighbors. The uh, The New Testament teaches the same thing, that we are to love our neighbor. And Jesus says, who is my neighbor? And everyone is our neighbor. So it doesn't matter if you believe like I believe. I'm still supposed to love you. And so I always tell people uh, when it comes to wearing a mask or if you're choosing to do the vaccine or not do the vaccine, remember that what we do and how we say things shows how we feel about others. And I think my church, I would say 75 to 80 percent of our people are vaccinated, if I had to guess. Um, That's just me guessing based off of our congregation. And I think a lot of them would say, I want to protect people around us. And I know some of our younger folks who have been vaccinated have said we worship with people in their 70s and 80s. And the last thing that I could ever want, the last thing I ever want to do is to come in with the virus and maybe be asymptomatic and spread it to someone. So I'm going to get vaccinated. I'm going to wear a mask because I care about the people around me. And I think by and large, evangelicals want to do that. I think evangelicals want to love their neighbors. They want to protect people. They care about people. And uh, so I would point them to the, you know, scripture like that uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, where Jesus and, and we're God and Yahweh in the Old Testament clearly points out to us that we are to love. one another and that we're supposed to love people as christ loved us and christ loved us by sacrificing himself so if my sacrifice is wearing a mask that's not a huge sacrifice and for the vaccine again you know if you consult with your doctor and that's something you think you need to do i don't think that's a huge thing for someone to do as well and so i i think a lot of people have a hard time being anti-vaccine and Against mask from a theological perspective. I think it's a spiritual perspective, but I don't think it's rooted in the Bible. I think it's rooted outside of the Bible, uh, where a lot of people get their hesitations.
1: In addition to offering spiritual advice when he can, Pastor Cornett reminds the members of his church to consult with their doctors when they have medical questions.
2: There's been a couple of people who have asked on a couple of different lines. One, Uh, People, especially evangelicals, a lot of them, they they trust their pastors. They're going to ask their pastor questions, and I always tell them, I'm not a doctor. So what you need to do is talk to your doctor and figure out what the best course of action is for you. Just like I go to my doctor, and I do that for my life. I don't go to my doctor to ask deep spiritual or theological questions. I, I seek medical advice. So that's what we've always encouraged our church to do. But for some, there's this uh, question of ethics. You know, was uh, this vaccine, when they were doing trials, were or when they were developing it, rather, did they use aborted fetal tissues, for example? And so I did some research on that, I did some reading, I leaned on that, I asked some doctors, and from what I found, that wasn't done. So that ethical question that people come and ask, I've been able to answer that and said, you know, I I can't tell you what you need to do for your body, but if you are having, the only reservation is ethics, I think ethically you can do this thing. Some people have asked, you know, is this a uh, sign of the end times? You know, this is the mark of the beast, the vaccine card, and you can't buy, you can't travel, you can't sell. And there's a lot of different interpretations on the book of Revelation. And this really, I haven't seen this really in my church. I've seen this more and large online in some Facebook groups that I'm a part of that are predominantly Southern Baptist. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different views about the end of the times. And some people believe that. That's not my interpretation of what the mark of the beast is or what uh, <laughs> the vaccine is in general. Some people just have a hesitancy towards it. But when it comes from a theological perspective or an ethic perspective, I've been able to answer that and kind of put their uh, minds at ease. I can't tell you what to do medically for you, but ethically, I think you can do this theologically. No, I don't believe this is you selling your soul to the devil or anything like that. And here's why I kind of walk through the Bible and why I see it that way.
1: Pastor Cornett has found in discussions with members of his church community that their reasons for vaccine hesitancy aren't usually political. That means coming at the conversation with a political angle will not
2: resonate well. So, people are not coming to me with political concerns, (laughs) you know, whether they voted for Trump or not. I think they realize that, you know, Trump had Operation Warp Speed, but it's not really political. Again, I, I think it's spiritual. And when you say evangelical, it's such a broad brush. Like Southern Baptist is very different than a lot of our Pentecostal groups and Pentecostals are the largest group of evangelicals. And I think a lot of times what it comes from with them is we can pray these things away. And we see this with other things. You can just pray. If you pray enough, you won't get it. I've seen that said on TV. Well, that's not really how viruses work. Can God protect you from that? Yes, but uh, you can still get the virus. I think a lot of people in Christendom would say, well, God's given us vitamins and things of this earth. We don't need medical treatment. We need the things of the earth that God's already given us to treat ourselves. Well, God's also given us doctors and scientists and things like that. And so I don't think it's really political. I think it's just kind of this otherworldly spiritual element to it uh, that they feel like they have to to take on. But there is certainly a political side of it. I just don't really see that largely in my context. Though
1: everyone's experience is unique, Pastor Cornett had some advice for approaching conversations
2: with vaccine-hesitant people like those in his congregation. Uh, What I would say to Christians who are asking questions about the vaccine, and every context is different, is that remember that every good gift comes from God. And there's this idea of common grace that god gives all people with and i believe that that doctors and medical expertise is one of those things that god has given us we're making headway with cancer treatment we have vaccines today to prevent polio and things like that and so in the midst of the pandemic instead of being skeptical always i'm not saying that you shouldn't ask questions you absolutely should you should consult your doctor about putting something in your body i do believe that and i believe that you should pray and and make decisions based off of that too and what you find in scripture But I believe that God has gifted us doctors and medical experts and it's a sign of his grace that in the midst of a pandemic where 600,000 Americans have died, where millions have died across the world, that perhaps this is something good that he has given us to treat us with this. So consult your doctor, talk to experts. Don't rely to, you know blogs or what you filter with what you read in the newspaper or what you watch on the news because everything is slanted. I think that most people would say that there's a slant on whatever you watch. Instead, trust your doctor. Your doctor is your doctor for a reason. And if you have ethical or theological questions, go ask your pastor about it and lean on him. And then you just have to make a decision based on who you're around, uh, who you um, are interacting with, what you're going and doing if you need to do that or not. And then I would just always, like I've told some people who've sat in my office, who've questioned masks and things like that. Could you live with yourself if you spread this to somebody else? And it did take their life. I know that I couldn't. That's why I wear a mask till this day. You know, Texas is very open, but every Sunday, you could see me right on the front pew at Plum Park Baptist Church in Irving wearing a mask until I get up to preach where I'm distanced from everybody. And that's what I would tell them.
1: Pastor Jared Cornett's experience demonstrates that what seems to be a political divide isn't necessarily politically or ideologically motivated. So we should listen carefully to everyone's unique questions and concerns. Pastor Cornett's faith contributes to his trust in science and the COVID-19 vaccines. And the same is also true of our next guest, Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Collins is director of the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, a role he has retained across multiple presidential administrations. He's a physician and geneticist who led a massive project you might have heard of, the Human Genome Project. Now he oversees a diverse body of research as NIH director. And Dr. Collins, he's a great guy, and he's a person of faith himself. This and his incredible ability to discuss science with all people across the political spectrum make him uniquely qualified to talk about these issues surrounding the COVID-19 vaccines. I had a great time sitting down with Dr. Collins to discuss why he trusts the COVID-19 vaccines and the importance of listening, not lecturing, listening when it comes to talking about those vaccines. He also is more than happy to talk about his faith and how it plays into his trust in science. Dr. Collins, I don't have to tell you, issues become politicized. Really? And coronavirus, COVID-19, no exception. And polling available in early May shows that about 10% fewer conservatives than the total population have started the vaccination process. And although the percentage of those who say they will never get the vaccine, it's dropping at about 20%. Still higher than any other demographic. Um, Why do you think that is, sir? Well, first of all, let
0: me say I am not a political animal. In case anybody's worried that I'm bringing some kind of perspective of that sort Um, I've been the NIH director now for 12 years. I was appointed by President Obama. I was retained in this job uh, by President Trump. Mm -hmm. And now I've been retained again by President Biden. So if there's any indication here that I am particularly aligned with any of those political movements, I hope that helps straighten it out. Why is it then that one's political party seems to play such an important role in decisions about whether or not to be vaccinated or, frankly, whether to wear a mask? I think, frankly, it's kind of a sad tale about how country has become so polarized on almost everything. And this is another example. I think conservatives are, by their nature, perhaps more likely to be skeptical when the government tells you to do something. Conservatives think government ought to kind of stay in its place. And maybe they see this instance as an example where they're being asked by governors or presidents or mayors uh, to take actions that invades their own sort of liberty. But you know what? That doesn't really fit this situation. We're talking about the worst pandemic in 103 years. It has killed close to 600,000 people in the United States alone. And we have a means of ending it with a highly effective and safe vaccine. So it's too bad the political considerations or a sense of liberty invasions are getting in the way of what just good common sense would say. Roll up your sleeve and let's get this done.
1: And that's what people come back to, common sense. And I'm glad. Thank you for laying out everything, your background, because I want people to hear this conversation and not feel that it's geared one way or the other. It's truly giving people, all people, the accurate information so they can make decisions on their own. But we have found, and the reason why in this particular episode, we're talking about how it's being politicized because, as you said, there is a solution to this long problem that we have. And until we can, it's not about converting. It's about convincing with facts. I'm not trying to convert anybody, but convince people with facts. The groups that are resistant to becoming uh, vaccinated, they say it's, it centers on safety and long-term side effects. What is your message to assure them? Well, it's totally appropriate to ask those questions. First of all, I I really
0: am worried that sometimes people like me come across as lecturing (laughs) instead of (laughs) listening. So I've tried to do a lot of listening, Robin, to what people's concerns are. And yeah, these vaccines just approved by the Food and Drug Administration for Emergency Use in December of 2020. That means we haven't had decades of experience. So people will want to know, okay, what's the data here to say, first of all, do these work? Will these actually protect me? And second of all, is there anything hiding there that might be an adverse event that I'd want to know about? I think the data that one can point to is pretty convincing. All of these vaccines that FDA has approved in the U.S. have gone through trials of at least 30,000 people. That's substantially larger than the usual vaccine trial. Those are situations where half the people got the vaccine and half got a shot, but it was actually a dummy and they didn't know which they got. That's the only way you can really assess, then, what is the effectiveness and are there side effects? Because some people are going to have something happen that has nothing to do with their shot, and you want to see, is there a cause and effect? And the results are really remarkable uh, for all three of the vaccines that have been approved. Now, people may say, well, yeah, but we only have a few months of experience. But we have more than that because the trials started last summer in July of 2020. So there are people walking around who've been immunized now for going on close to a year, and we are not seeing that they are encountering any adverse events at all. From experience with other vaccines, if there's going to be an unexpected side effect, it almost invariably happens in the first two months, actually usually even sooner than that. So FDA in general looks at those first two months. And if you don't see something there, they're going to say this looks like a safe vaccine. And I think we can lean on that experience as well and say we're in a really good shape with these in terms of being safe for all those who need them.
1: And, you know, I'm so glad that people are, are speaking up. We know that there are questions out there and we welcome them. I think sometimes people feel that because they're raising their hand or they're they're concerned that they're put into a certain group and it's saying no 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 it's okay and and what what needs to be done to close this vaccination gap between primarily conservatives and the rest of the country do you think Dr. Collins? I think conversations like this where we get away from rumors
0: and other sort of unnamed anxieties that maybe aren't really going to be sustainable once you have access to the data and an appreciation just about why this is for the individual potentially life-saving and for and for our whole community also a really important thing there's certainly people who say You know, I've seen this disease spread across the country. I had a few friends who got COVID. They got better. What's the big deal? If I happen to get it, well, I'll be fine. You can't always say that. There are plenty of young people who got COVID who didn't do fine. You know, Robin, there are 300 children who have died of COVID. We say that children are really not ones to worry about. That's true most of the time, but not all the time. When you turn down the chance for protection, you are putting yourself at risk, regardless of who you are. Obviously more so if you're older or if you have some medical condition, but nobody's immune to the risk here of a bad outcome.
1: Another issue, location, 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 Dr. Collins. Mm -hmm. And uh, polls show higher vaccine hesitancy rates in rural areas with higher conservative populations. So does COVID-19 pose as higher a risk in areas that are less densely populated? Is it, is it for, for people to think, hey, that's, that's for the big cities. That's not that's not where I live out in the country. Well,
0: there might be a slight tendency for the virus to have less impact in rural communities because people are not as likely to be closely packed together where it can be transmitted. But think back uh, to things that have happened over the last 16 months. Where were the places where the disease was particularly rampant? Uh, It was in the Dakotas. Uh, Most recently, it was Michigan where I have family up there in the thumb of Michigan, which is mostly rural area. And yet there were lots and lots of affected individuals and people who died. So, yeah, I kind of see maybe if you're in a rural community, it doesn't seem quite so important. But you should never imagine that somehow that means the virus is going to skip over you. It's just looking for humans and it will find them.
1: Yeah, it does not discriminate in any kind of
0: way. And yet We should stop a second here, Robin, and recognize how amazing it is that the scientific community, faced with the worst pandemic in 103 years, absolutely got all hands on deck, mm-hmm. uh, worked 24-7, came up with these strategies to sort of cut away some of the dead times that normally afflict projects like building a vaccine. And came up with this amazing outcome where we can have this conversation today about whether people should decide to take a safe and effective vaccine as opposed to, well, why do we have to wait another couple of years for any vaccines to appear, which would have been the normal timetable.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about that, Dr. Collins. You're on to something there because that's so true. And I, and I have to admit, too, when they were first talking about a vaccine, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now, if history serves me right here, it takes years before. So when it did come out faster than it had in the past. But then when I did my homework, as we're helping people to do, I didn't realize how much work had already gone into this before. And so can you explain to people again the reason why these vaccines were able to get out to the public in record speed? Well, we had worked for
0: 25 years to try to develop this new, very rapid approach to vaccine development called mRNA, messenger RNA. And this was the work of various scientists, mostly in the U.S., trying to figure out whether you could actually get the immune system to make antibodies against a viral protein even more efficiently. If you use the instructions for that protein instead of the protein itself, that's basically what messenger RNA is. It's just a little instruction book. You stick it into a muscle cell and you tell the muscle cell, make that spike protein on the surface of that nasty coronavirus. And the muscle cell goes, yeah, I know how to do that. And it happens very quickly. And then the immune system sees it and makes the antibodies and you're immunized. And because it's so speedy, all you have to really know is the letters of the code of that virus, and you can start designing the vaccine, which is exactly what happened about 200 yards from where I am right now in the Vaccine Research Center at NIH on January 10th, 2020 when the letters of the code of that SARS-CoV-2 virus got posted on the internet and within 48 hours, they had designed the vaccine. And within 60 days, the first patients were being injected as part of the phase one trial. That is like, Light years faster than it right. has ever been possible. But because this technology had been developed and optimized over years and years, actually working on SARS and working on MERS, then it was all ready to go. The other thing that we ought to mention is it's one thing to have a great start to the vaccine effort, but then you've got to scale up to big trials, eventually 30,000 people. Usually that takes you a heck of a long time. you got to organize this. you got to write the protocol, get all the reviews done, find the money. And so years go by. Because of Operation Warp Speed, which is a really important effort in the Trump administration, all of those things got thought about right from the beginning. So we would have clarity about how you went from that first phase one trial to ultimately the definitive trial, and also how you would make sure that if the vaccine actually worked, that you were already making doses of it that you could start giving to people. All of that had to be thought through. And that's why it felt like it went really fast, but it It was fast for smart reasons. And okay, maybe warp speed was not the best term to use (laughs) for this because it made people think like, oh, a bunch of cowboys, they're going too fast. But I don't think you wanted us to do Operation Slowboat when people were dying. So it was a good thing to be really careful about the planning, finding the resources, skipping over the
1: dead times that normally vex this process. That's what we did. During this course of the conversation, even if we change one person's mind, convince them with these facts, Not again, mm-hmm. not trying to convert, but convince. And then they say, okay, but I have a family member. Do you have any insider or or any tips on how, if you have a, a conservative family member, that you could have a conversation with them like this.
0: What I do think is that family members sometimes are the most effective advocates uh, for people rethinking their position. It's one thing for, you know, me, a government employee who is assumed, of course, uh, to be on the side of vaccines naturally because we helped make them. But if it's your spouse or or your brother or sister or your son or daughter who said, you know, I've really looked at this and I think this is something that you ought to consider. Let me tell you why. That may get more attention. And if it's your clergyman or it's your doctor, recognize 90% plus of clergy have gotten vaccinated. 90% plus of doctors have gotten vaccinated. That tells you something about what they think of this. And I think most of them are willing to talk about that. Another thing, though, you know, I think we're missing one other really important point about the importance of vaccination. Going beyond that it is a benefit to yourself in terms of preventing a terrible illness, it's also part of your opportunity and maybe responsibility to your community to try to create this blanket of immune protection over all of us. And you don't get there until most people are immunized. It's called herd immunity, which is a terrible term. But the idea is the virus is going to fade away if there aren't very many people around anymore that it can infect. We know that is how it works. And think of this. I have a friend who has leukemia. Um, I have another friend who is a kidney transplant. Both of them have gotten vaccinated and both of them failed to raise any antibodies because their immune systems are affected in one case by chemotherapy and another by immunotherapy for avoiding transplant rejection. They are vulnerable they're the ones i worry about most at night in terms of what might happen if they got exposed to this virus their only real means of protection besides you know hiding away which they have been doing is for the rest of us to get immune so that we aren't going to be the vectors to pass that virus to them and ultimately take their lives and I think most of us really do have this sense of concern about our community and about vulnerable people, no matter whether you're conservative or liberal, no matter whether you're a believer or not. This is sort of one of our human qualities that we do try to do things to try to help those who are in the greatest and most vulnerable kind of position. And here's a chance to do that in to miss that also is to miss a pretty important argument about why this does seem to be something that falls on all of our shoulders.
1: You know, Dr. Collins, uh, you almost brought tears to my eyes because um, having gone through cancer twice and gone I was going to say, Robin, uh, you uh, know about this. <laughs> yes, and my um, immune system is not as robust as it should be for somebody who's 60 years old this is your cue to say, you don't sound or look like you're 60, right? That's was, okay, doctor. I mean, ah, not a that's day right. <laughs> over 40, you know. <laughs> but I have to say, I took precautions. But my team around me, my team around me did. You know, each of us have a pod. Um, uh, George Stephanopoulos, um, Michael Strahan, all of us have a team. And my team was the only one that did not go through COVID. Thankfully, they were okay. But my pod was the only one. And I really appreciate that they knew how vulnerable I would be. And I find myself now that I'm fully vaccinated, I still wear my mask when I'm out because I don't know others who might be vulnerable. I'm protected, but I also want to protect them. Who are you, Oprah? Getting me to cry, Doctor Collins? (laughs) Um,
0: These are serious issues. I'm glad we can talk about them,
1: and we (laughs) need to. And people need to. We need to get outside of our our, ourselves. But you brought up a very good point, my friend, (laughs) when you mentioned clergy. And polls show higher vaccine hesitancy rates among evangelical Christians. You are a person of faith. I am as well. How would you approach that conversation? with a vaccine-skeptical Christian?
0: Well, I'm trying to do a lot of that because I am an evangelical Christian. I was an atheist in my 20s and became converted to Christianity as a medical student. And it is the most important part of my life in terms of how I evaluate everything around me and how I pray for some kind of relief when terrible things are happening. So I think I know what believers are wrestling with here. And again, the most important thing is to be listening because skeptics who happen to be believers have different reasons for being skeptical. Some of them have, I'm sorry to say, been caught up in some of the conspiracy theories that are so widely spread on social media media. But some of them, I think, are caught in this dilemma that they are people who trust in God, as I do. And they have prayed to God to protect them and their family from COVID-19. If they accept the vaccine, does that mean they didn't really quite trust God after all? I've heard this uh, many times. And yet, when you step back from that, You can kind of see, wait a minute, there's something not quite falling together here. Because after all, if you're a believer and you see science as God's gift, as I do, our ability to understand creation, which has been given to us by God Almighty, and to figure out how it works and to use that information to develop something that's going to save somebody's life— That is God answering prayer. That's not some separate pathway. That is right in the middle of that hope that our prayers are going to save us. And here it comes. So embrace it and give thanks. It's a gift, but you got to unwrap the gift, which means rolling up your sleeve. Otherwise, it just sits there. So that's one thing. As well as sort of overarching it a bit of a a not great history here between faith and science. (laughs) That people of faith tend to think that scientists are mostly atheists. So I guess I'm uh, the contra example there. Uh, and frankly, forty percent of scientists are believers. That surprises people, but that's the case. And again, this is one of my passions, uh, Robin. Is we have such opportunities to bring people of faith and people of science together to have really interesting conversations about how all of this provides insight into God's mind, and yet. We haven't gotten as far with that maybe in this country as we might. And people who are interested can go and look at this website called BioLogos, which is a great place uh, to engage in those conversations and reassure yourself that science is not opposed to faith. Science shines a wonderful new set of prism lights on faith and vice versa. It's a wonderful harmonization that's possible there. When you
1: talk, you're usually repeating something that you already know, but when you listen, you might learn something new. You know? <laughs> and I have certainly been learning something new listening to you, Dr. Francis Collins, Uh your spirit and the way that you are able to convey information and facts to help increase vaccine confidence. So grateful to you, Dr. Collins. Thank well, you. Thank you,
0: Robin. You know, I, do read my Bible every morning and this morning and once again I was reading Psalm 46 because I keep going back to it. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I think the help in this case is coming for us through science and the help is called vaccines and God is right in that. So please people who have somehow decided that this doesn't apply to you look again. There are good answers to questions Go to Google, type in, we can do this, and it'll take you to that site of the COVID community core where hundreds of organizations and churches and civic organizations and physicians organizations have all gotten together to provide the kind of answers you might be looking for. There are answers. Uh, Just go and look and then roll up your sleeve.
1: To Collins. He really makes you think. Because though there appears to be a political divide in those holding out on the COVID-19 vaccine so far, it's clear that the reasons for vaccine hesitancy are unique to every individual, no matter where they stand on the political spectrum. If you have questions yourself, learning about the science behind the vaccines, talking to your doctor, and even studying the theological reasons for getting vaccinated, can help alleviate your concerns. And if there are hesitant people in your life, listen carefully to their questions. Do it with compassion, with open, honest discussions, the whole intent of this podcast series. We can mend this divide and move forward from the COVID-19 pandemic. Isn't that what we all want? To get vaccinated, go to vaccines.gov and click Find COVID-19 Vaccines. The site will help you determine where you can get the vaccine and how to make an appointment. Now you don't have to worry about paying for your vaccine. Your taxpayer dollars are funding the rollout, so there's no individual cost to you. So if someone asks you to provide your insurance information, that's only so your vaccination provider can bill your insurance for the administrative costs, but you will not be personally responsible for any expenses. I'd like to thank our guests. Thank you, Pastor Jared Cornett and Dr. Francis Collins for sharing your thoughts and expertise with us today. And you know what? Thank you for listening. COVID-19 immunity in our community was developed and paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, part of a public education campaign to increase public confidence in COVID-19 vaccines while reinforcing basic prevention measures. We can do this. Presented by iHeartRadio and ABC News, this podcast is hosted by me, Robin Roberts. The episode was executive mm produced, Ethan Fixel with production by Wonder Media Network. It was written, engineered, and edited by Edie Allard, a triple threat, with research assistance from Alessandra Tejada, with original theme music by Brad Kemp. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community, what are you waiting for? Please do so on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am Robin Roberts, and this is COVID-19 Immunity in Our Community. We can do this. Thank you for listening.